0: Connecting to the big show.
2: In three, two, one.
0: When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming sure now what this is, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can we just
2: talk? Call
0: 1850-715-996 Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696
2: Email opinion at 96fm.ie
0: The lines are live Let's
2: kickstart the conversation
0: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
2: On Cork's 96fm
3: Such a sad story from Kilkenny overnight That young lad uh, died just having a puck around like thousands of kids do every day of every week, just having a puck around at lunchtime from school and he gets hit with the slitter, a complete accident and a little lad called Harry Byrne from the village of Gorn in County Kilkenny uh, St. Kieran's College is where he was having a puck around with, uh, with friends uh, if you know anything about Kilkenny and anything about hurling you'll know that St. Kieran's College is the mecca of school hurling in Kilkenny that will be an awful tragedy for the city and an awful tragedy for the school and it's a school that my dad went to my dad, my dad did his uh, leaving cert at St Ciaran's College in Kilkenny, and he had a love of hurling that he picked up as a child and developed in the school, and love of athletics as well. So when I heard that story yesterday, I felt sad on a number of different levels. So we think this morning of Harry Bourne and his friends and his schoolmates and his school and his city and his town of Gourne. And our thoughts will be with them on this uh, this Wednesday morning, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Good to catch up every once in a while with Professor Luke O'Neill from Trinity College to see where we're going with regard to COVID nineteen. And Luke, in the week where we now have one drug already licensed in the UK and a second drug going to be made here in Cork, things are changing, aren't they? Good morning again.
4: Good morning, PJ. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, they are changing big time if it all holds together, of course. I mean, we've two antivirals now, which showed really strong response in terms of preventing severe disease and hospitalisation. The latest one is the Pfizer drug, as you mentioned. Ring Mm. of Skiddy will be the place they're going to make it for the world, which is great for for Ireland, isn't it? Let's hope we get access to it, because the trial data was very striking. You know, 89% decreased risk of hospitalisation. Now, of course, once we get to the real world, it might go down There may be one or two things, you know, that might change with that, but certainly it looks really good at the moment, so it's really good news. To to me, PJ, it's as big as the vaccine news a year ago to be honest, because as I say, if it all holds together we've got two powerful antiviral drugs against this virus. Do we know when Pavlovid might become available? Well, it's under review at the moment in the European Medicines Agency and the FDA in America because the, the regulators have to look at all the data. We haven't seen any data, by the way. We just, yeah. it's, a, it's a press release, you know, but still we're confident. And I, I, was speak, I was speaking to someone in Pfizer actually last week and they were saying, it's looking really good, you know. we got to wait though. We wait for the regulators to say, yes, it's safe. The data looks strong and then they approve it. They get emergency use, it's called, because this pandemic is still seen as an emergency for obvious reasons. I would say within a month or so, we'll see approval, you know. Yeah. Then it's a question of getting it out. And I bet Ring of Skitty, PJ, is working flat out to make millions of doses. It wouldn't surprise me they're, they're cranking. They're quite straightforward to make. They're easier to make than a vaccine yeah. because it's a tablet. You know, it's, it's easy and to make. And the technology,
3: so, I, as we were discussing earlier in the week, Lou, the technology is the, the, the protease inhibitor, the, the kind of thing yeah. that has helped people with HIV to live a perfectly normal life.
4: That that gives us confidence, PJ, because there's other protease inhibitors out there already that for HIV, hepatitis C is another one, you know, another viral disease. They're, they're protease inhibitors as well. It's in the same class of drug. And, that, and they work, and they're very safe, you know. So, therefore, that gives us confidence that this should work. And, by the way, Pfizer are the world experts on protease blockers anyway. And they stepped up and, and ramped up that program. It's the first specific drug for SARS-CoV-2, by the way. The Molnupiravir, the yeah. Merck drug, that have been tried against flu and various other viruses, you know. This this one's tailor-made against the enemy, if you will. And, that, again, that gives us confidence, you know.
3: Yeah, it's, a, it's a exciting times. It's still worrying times, though, with the daily case numbers look so high and the hospitals under... A bit of pre- nothing, nothing like the pressure that we're under in January, but under, under a bit of pressure. Is there a study from the UK about the spread? Is it that young people are the biggest spreaders now?
4: yeah there's evidence for that yeah I mean there was a big study in The Lancet uh, about a week ago now I suppose which showed that it was it was quite common in, in five-year-olds and up actually are carrying the virus obviously and there was evidence in the teens especially that they were spreading it you know and it's, it's natural PJ. So anybody who's infected it can be any age' there's a risk that they're going to be a source of infection you know so, and it's mainly in the young people it's mainly in the unvaccinated groups of course as well so it wouldn't be that surprising to say that children and, and teenagers will be a source of spread mm. it can be hard to pin these numbers down of course, overall yeah. but, but that's, that, that that's not
3: demonizing them either that's just saying by look, no look, means yeah, yeah. No. They're, they're an unvaccinated that. cohort so there's another study isn't there and more research being done that we now know that you know even if you are vaccinated a you can get it and b you can spread but there's more work being done isn't there on how spreadable you are or how infectious you are with vaccine you are infectious but not for as long a you time are.
4: Yeah, that that gets misunderstood slightly, PJ. You can get infected if you're vaccinated. And we knew that anyway, you know. Now, that wasn't clear from the initial trial, by the way, where there was no infections happening in the initial trial, you know. And we could say it was protecting against that. But in the real world, uh, some people might pick up a virus in their nose, you see, because the immune system hasn't got to the nose. But it won't make you sick. I mean, there's no doubt the vaccines are stopping people, as you just said, ending up in hospital, which is tremendous, you see. But you can spread it. But for less than someone who's unvaccinated, because it's in your nose for less time, because your immune system can handle it. You know, so maybe for a given day, someone who's vaccinated might spread it. Right. Maybe spreading it, not, maybe, not, maybe not on day four yeah. of the infection because they've cleared it. Whereas if you're unvaccinated, it will last for longer in your body. Yeah. So when you look at a whole population over the course of a week or two, say, the vaccinated ones are spreading it less overall. So it d- does decrease transmission. Yeah. And we must, cl- we must clarify that. Because yeah. that keeps coming well, up, well, let's, let's
3: put that in, in, in black and white terms. So you remember before the vaccines, when the virus was developing in your body you could be infectious for a period of anything up to 5 or 7 days and that would yeah, have to yeah. danger of the spread if you're vaccinated and you happen to get infected which you can that period is much shorter
4: yeah, that's right. And your load your load might be high for the day you're infected because it's in your nose and it's growing like crazy. But eventually your immune system kicks in and helps to clear it, you see. So there'll be a shorter time with that. And then there's data supporting that yeah. over time as well. It could be as much as 50, 60 percent. It depends on what study you look at. Decreased transmission overall in the vaccinated group, you know what I mean? Yeah. Compared to unvaccinated. So it's an important thing to, 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 to emphasize, really.
3: Talking to... Um, Professor Liam Fanning from UCC the other morning and he's of the view Luke that it maybe this booster plan which now stops at the age of 60 or anyone who's immunocompromised or immunosuppressed that effectively they need to give a booster or make it available at least to all of us
4: Yeah, it may head in that direction, PJ. We're not sure yet. I mean, the data is still emerging and waning. And obviously, again, it's a new disease, PJ. We're still looking at people closely. The immunologists are watching this, you know. It may turn out that you see waning in the over 50s might begin. It might take longer to wane because they've got a stronger response overall and as you ramp down through the ages the waning might be less but if there is evidence of waning in the younger cohort say 50s and up and 40s and up we'd be wise then to give them boosters because yeah. the vaccines going, going off in them obviously So from
3: singapore rates. they're now offering it to anyone over
4: 30 yeah that's right that's right you can go in hard on this as well of course if you want certain certain co- israel are doing that you know yeah. they are going to boost everybody it seems you know, so we may head in that direction going hard and the going early speech, if you like remember what they did well, in new zealand like, you know, you know, going hard and yeah, like, going early. A, you know, they did that. that. Kind of
3: idea, yeah. Is, is that is is that a way we should think about?
4: Well, I worry about the developing world always, because yeah. they have a massive need for vaccine. You see, there's many people in highly vulnerable categories, healthcare workers, unvaccinated in those countries, and they're at much higher risk than someone who's in their 50s who's been vaccinated, you see. So, as long as supply isn't an issue, we, we if, if, if in parallel would be ideal, really. You know, yeah. in other words, get get the vaccine out widely, both to people who, in whom it's waning, and also then in people who really need it in developing countries. As long as we keep an eye on that, I'd be happy enough to see the, uh, the under-60s yeah. begin the process, and Age group as well. There was a study in the Lancet also
3: about the two strategies that we've argued about from day one here. Elimination, like they tried in Australia, New Zealand and many other parts of the world. And it worked to a point, then Delta changed the game and then mitigation, which we've all
4: been doing. And I think they're still not decided on which was the best one. No, it's hard to know, in a sense. And again, we learned a lot from that, didn't we? You could do your best to keep it out, and, and you couldn't. You know, in the end, it got into New Zealand, got into Australia, because it's so transmissible, you see. It, it doesn't take any prisoners, this virus, in a sense. It'll it look for your weak spot. and then break through it. It's highly infectious. We know that much, you know, by now it's extremely infectious. So it's very hard to see zero COVID actually ever being possible in that sense. And it also means, PJ, we mightn't get rid of it in the immediate term. It'll always be burning away somewhere, you know. Mm. And as long as we've antivirals, let's re-emphasize that. If you've antivirals, that's tremendous. I mean, what the trial showed was if you take the tablet within three days of symptoms, it decreased your risk of hospitalization by 89%. Isn't that great? So again, you can see now, it may well be burning away in our communities. There's a tablet available now to kill it and of course the vaccine prevention is better than cure always you see so mm. so we have the double whammy now of the vaccine and the antiviral ready.
3: do you see a day in the near future or midterm future luke when i'll stop for example checking the HSE report every evening or every morning to see just how much pressure yeah. the hospitals are under
4: do you see that anywhere on the horizon well, I see it on the horizon. You won't be ringing me anymore, PJ. How about that one? Because you won't be <laughs> me to talk about that. <laughs> but no, I, I I think so. Yes, I mean the case numbers to me is unusual because they don't tell us an awful lot. It's good they have the information, of course. Mm. And, and but we see cases every night. We'll stop reporting cases. We don't report cases of other infectious diseases, do we? So that will stop. I predict. And then it's the, it's the ICU hospital admissions. We'll keep reporting those. You see. So, but now you're right. It has to. It has to. I mean, I I'd be optimistic by the time we get to March, April of next year. It'll be a different world entirely for this virus, yeah. because those antivirals will be available, and we're coming into the summer again. And as we know, it's it's a it's a seasonal virus, you see. So, yeah. so all those pressures. Well, pressure well, we we've disease. accepted its seasonality now, have we? I think, yeah, like most respiratory viruses, they go up in the winter, you know, because you're indoors. That's the main reason it's seasonal. You're indoors and it spreads more indoors, you know. The more outdoors we are, as we know, the lower the risk. So as soon as we get to go outdoors again, the thing begins to to, to go away, you see, and begins to decrease, if you like. So that, that's what that's what next year will look like, I think.
3: Okay, so with a combination of the antiviral for when you get diagnosed, the vaccines for the vulnerable and those who need it, yep. and this uh, accepting the seasonality, 2022 at last could see the back end
4: of this thing. That's right. And then also, PJ, if, you, if you're vaccinated and you get infected, you can take an antiviral. Remember, that's your, that's your belt and braces now. I you see. So, so the fact that the vaccinated get infected is less of a concern because the antivirals are there. And what the antiviral does, PJ, it decreases your viral load massively. So you're definitely going to be less infectious if you take an antiviral, you know? So in other words, as I say, it's, it's this belt and braces, is what I would call it in a way, yeah. you know? And, and it's another great weapon to have, really. And my last one before, I know you're under some time pressure. The thing about
3: a person who gets COVID now having to stay out of work for a few days and maybe not get paid will antivirals change that like can I take an antiviral and go to work
4: well, I, I need to see. I mean, again, once it's out in the real world, we'll see how those antivirals perform. But certainly, if they, if they decrease your time with the disease, you know what I mean? In other words, if you, if you don't take it, you might be sick for a week or so. This might make it a two or three day disease, and then you go back to work. That, that's a real prospect of that. It may require testing, of course, in this phase, but okay. that's a real prospect as well.
3: All right. It's good always to catch up with you. And I know you've got another engagement, so I'll leave you go there. Professor Luke O'Neill from Trinity College Department of Biochemistry and Immunology. We have had bad news lately, but we have a lot of good news. I was looking at the hospital numbers this morning. And if ever you wanted proof that the vaccines are working, because there's an awful lot of old nonsense out there, uh, particularly on the cesspit that is Twitter. There's an awful lot of old horse manure out there about vaccines. I did a comparison this morning. And again, this is a chart. I, I think I posted the other day. If I didn't, I'll post it again later on today the HSE does this report every single evening it's very detailed but you can read through it and you learn to read through it and find what you're looking for quite quickly it does a hospital's report every evening so the data to hand this morning was published last evening and here in Cork uh, we have 34 people in CUH with uh, COVID-19 related disease of whom 6 are in the intensive care unit the Mercy has 11, of which two are in ICU. Now, the hospitals themselves are under a lot of pressure from other things. For example, there's only one available bed in CUH this morning, uh, there's only, and, and the Mercy is full. Now, that may have changed overnight, but as of last evening, that was the situation. So, 34 and 6 in ICU at CUH, 11 and 2 in ICU at the Mercy. Take us back to the 10th of January, when we didn't have vaccines when most of us had not been vaccinated on the 10th of January, this is the 10th of November, 10th of January, in COH, there was 135 people with COVID-related illness, and seven of them were in ICU. And in the Mercy, there was 41 people in hospital. Two of them were in ICU. Now, a quick calculation of those. The Mercy, a quarter of what was there in January. And COH, pretty much the same. COH, a quarter again. So the hospital numbers, despite the high daily cases, the hospital numbers in Cork are a quarter of what they were in January.
0: Tell me again that
3: vaccines don't work, will you?
0: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor,
2: home, business, farm, life and health insurance. Cmig.ie. Fully focused, what you mean? Got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester
0: City are the champions. Number one, that's
3: up in the league. The best football league in the world is right here.
0: Firmino with the flick, solid!
4: Fernandes, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal! The Premier League live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96FM.ie.
2: Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary, and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. That's up
5: the Premier League Live.
2: With now stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sport with a now sports extra membership.
5: Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app.
3: Addison O'Reilly, one of the producers of the Missing Children documentary, was on the show with us yesterday morning talking about it. I have to confess I haven't actually seen it yet other than the promotional material. I had my head stuck in a good book at home last evening and completely forgot about it. But Kate, you watched and you were very upset. Good morning.
6: Oh, unbelievable. Um, the human, it's human rights. It's a human rights atrocity. It's a disgrace. Yeah. All the children that are buried. You know, these babies didn't throw themselves into the pit. These babies didn't put them into the land in Vespera. You know, the religious orders and everybody else involved they all covered it up yeah. for years. Like even when the, the young lads found the bones, they just c- covered up the bones again and there wasn't even an investigation into when those little bones were found yeah. in the 70s. Like The government, we have a government now, and if this is the way they're going to remember that they didn't proceed and get on with the digging in Tune and in Bessborough and just get it done. Find out, for God's sake, once and for all, and give these people a decent burial. And also you'll be able to find out from DNA from people who are alive now, yes. um, and if their brothers and sisters are in there. But definitely there are children buried in Bessborough, and I can tell you why because I have a relation who was in there and the farmers used to work on the land and there was always something going on like that there. And children sort of like, sort of were gone and disappeared in two seconds. Well,
3: well a the report did say, Kate, there was oh, nearly yeah. 800 babies unaccounted for in the, res- oh, in the records yeah. down
6: there. Do yeah, you, know? you see, oh, yeah. I, and it, there's no point in denying it anymore. We have a government in now. And if this is what they're going to be remembered for, doing nothing about this. There's so many archaeologists and so many forensic people around that they could start it tomorrow. If this was a historical place, say like um, the place in, Boston, place in Dublin um, that they built, or they dug Wood up... Key. Wood Key, mm. They'd be in there in a the minute and say, oh my God, this is fascinating. I'll give you a better
3: one, Case Only about three weeks ago, when they were doing some work up at the old Nancy Spains and they found some bones, oh, yes. all hell broke loose.
6: There you are. And look at this, you've all these little babies who never did anything to anybody in their life. I'd just be born. The crime of being born. Yeah. This has to be done. And I just want to appeal to the government and to everybody involved. Get in there. If I don't give a damn what it costs. As a matter of fact, get it off the, the real orders who bloody did it in the first place. Do you know what I mean? So it's got to be done. just for the sake of the relations who are left there who don't know what happened to their brothers and sisters and what happened. Like, it's so, it was so distressing. Like, you've been, like, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and they're all so, so upset still. They're
3: broken. They're broken.
6: They're broken. They're broken. They are. They're broken. I just want to say I'm just appealing to the government. Go in now and just do it. All
3: right. Listen, Kate, thank you for your call. Uh, Yeah. A lot of people are very upset. I was watching it on Twitter last night. I'm reading a very good book at the moment by one of my favourite... Uh, Irish authors, Sam Blake, and I got stuck into it. And uh, I, um, I completely forgot about the documentary, but I'll be watching it probably t- uh, tomorrow night or at the very least at the weekend. But I know what's in it. I know the work that Ali and others put into it, so I'm not surprised Kate is as upset as she is. Come here on a brighter note. You need to tune in Monday morning. Uh, listen to Casey and Ross Monday morning, November 15th, because that's when we start the 10K toy giveaway. Yes, it's back for 2021 giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees starts monday uh, listening and uh, not just in the morning but all day long and look out for your chance to text or whatsapp in to win it's the corks 96 PM 10k toy giveaway with douglas village shopping center 50 years at the heart of the village and looking brilliant as they decorate for Christmas. I passed it this morning. Looking brilliant. Listen and win from next Monday only on Cork's 96FM. I want to go back to COVID for a little while. uh, To the whole living with COVID look catchphrase as it's become. And an interesting call from a disability rights activist that when we... Set about living with COVID into the future for however long it takes as it becomes probably endemic among us. We need not to make certain mistakes. I'll talk to Matt McCann in just a sec, Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six.
0: Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in
2: person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. You guys ready? Watch out!
0: Watch out and home. Oh. The big drive home, weekdays from four
2: on Corks 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. When you're finished work, school, or college, I'm here every evening giving away the coolest prizes. Playing the music that you want to hear It's wondering if you could play any song by the script And there's always a celeb stopping by I think I look like middle-aged in my confirmation (laughs) photo I look older there than I do now So join me weekdays from 4
0: The Big Drive Home
2: With Harvey Norman
0: On Cork's
3: 96FM Matt McCann is that disability rights activist from Access Earth Matt, good to have you on the programme, good morning
7: Good morning to you, PJ. How are you?
3: Good. Can you define a term for me before we start to talk? Ableism. In simple terms, what is it?
7: So in simple terms, ableism is the act through where um, that uh, people will by default uh, sort of view in a unfairly treat people because they have a disability, usually not through any sort of mean or heartless aspect, but that they would take things for granted. For example, say, oh, well, I can go down steps and not really think about that. Mm.
3: Is this like a friend of mine said to me recently, she said, PJ, you can live in my world very easily. It's not so easy for me to live in yours. Yes, that'd be, that'd be a good way of putting it. Now, how must, how, how the living, the whole living with COVID thing, what must we not do as we pursue that?
7: So, what we must not do is sort of take the improvements that we've made through as a society and just go back to how things were wholesale, just because that's how it was before. And what there kind of improvements are they? M- so, for one thing, example would be the social distancing within shops, right? The, the two meters uh, has automatically made the aisles wider for uh, people who use wheelchairs. They've also helped People who have visual impairments, it's easier to navigate because there's less obstacles, and also for people who may be socially anxious or or um, are neurodivergent, the extra space sort of giving them um, more more um, room within shops essentially. Right. But there's also been some, from an accessibility perspective, I suppose, the um, the face masks have been uh, would uh, has has made some points where people who are, say, hard of hearing and deaf, who would lip read. So what COVID has done for accessibility in general is it's, it's made people more aware of people's needs. And that's really what we're trying to, to get across as a company, is just to build awareness of accessibility and how everyone's needs are different.
3: Mm. I'm interested in what you say about the social distancing. And again, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have realized it, that if people are keeping their distance in a shopping aisle... It means it's easier to get a wheelchair up and down or a walking frame or something like that.
7: Exactly. Or even a parent with with a pram or buggy. Or if you're coming in with crutches because you've twisted your ankle. In a sense, it, it, it benefits everybody because, you know, I mean, we're all getting older as well. Hmm. And we're going to, you know, according to the UN, we're going to spend about eight years of our lives living with some form of accessibility or disability. So making the built environment more accessible to a wheelchair user, for example, yeah. will benefit everyone. In terms of the way we work,
3: what changes have been positive?
7: Some of the main positive ones have been remote working because it's, it's enabled people who may have had difficulty in traveling uh, due to their own specific health or accessibility needs. It's allowed them to be more flexible in how they get work done. And it's been something that we've been Sort of, there's been campaigns for about flexible working for years and companies have either thought, oh, well, there'd be a re- reduction in productivity or things like that. But I mean, the reality is a lot of companies are um, reporting better work-life balance amongst their employees and better um, productivity as well. Mm.
3: You talk about it being unconscious and you had an experience yourself where you were going to accept an award when you suddenly realized something.
7: Yes, we, we were going to accept an award for the company for our work that we're doing within accessibility. And uh, we had to go up on a stage that had two steps to it. And also the venue itself at the time, the lift was out of order. So it's, I mean, the irony was not lost on the organisers. They had apologised, but it was just, it was that, lack it was that disconnected thinking yeah. that, um, again, not through any malice or forethought. It's just, if it's not people's main lived experience, yeah. it's difficult to, to, to look at that perspective. And that's, that's what we're trying to get people to do.
3: Is this why when we see something, a local authority setting up uh, a committee uh, to deal with access and disability, that there should be someone sitting on that committee who has the type of needs that you have, for example?
7: I should and there and there are in a lot of in a lot of public consultations there are representations but uh, what what we've seen as well is say the, for example not not a huge percentage of architects or city engineers may have a direct accessibility need and so they need to get as wide an opinions as possible because you know, I I use a walking frame to get around, but I have different accessibility needs to someone in a manual wheelchair or someone in an electric wheelchair. You can't just have, say, one representation on these committees. You have to have a wide range of um, people with different needs to get the complete picture.
3: You cite also something that happened at COP26 as an example of the mistakes we should not be making in a in a more thoughtful world. What happened to the the, the Minister from Israel?
7: So the Minister from Israel, uh, Karine El-Rahar, she's a a wheelchair user and she was unable to attend the climate events due to a a, a failure in accessibility foresight, essentially, through a mixture of, a mix up with the transportation and getting access to the building. It was um, Quite ironic in some way that this important event to, to bring all of humanity together um, actually excluded a portion of it from attending the event.
3: Yeah, That's an interesting one. I was interested to read that because COP26 was supposed to be a look at the future and how we adapt our world. And we, we all know, is in fairness, Israel are doing super things with regard to water and desalination and all these things. And there the very minister couldn't get up on stage because of the... Uh, the way the place had been designed. Food for thought, Matt. Thank you very much for being with us. That's Matt McCann from Access Earth, disability rights advocate and activist. It's, it's Again, it's, it was Carol Royce, my friend Carol Rice, who said that to me earlier this year. Do you know, PJ, you can get around in my world, no problem. But it's not so easy for me to get around in yours. And maybe that's a, a thing we should all bear in mind ...as we head into the future. Matt, thank you. 185715996. Speaking of additional needs and people with... uh, ...Pennies are in the news this morning. They're introducing an autism-friendly shopping period... ...at all of their stores on Sundays... ...in the run-up to Christmas. Uh, Every Sunday morning for the first hour of opening... uh, ...they'll be silencing the tills... ...and the in-store announcements will be uh, silenced... ...and all the music that they play will be turned off. It's it's part of working with the advocacy group As I Am. Uh, so autism-friendly shopping and pennies coming in for the run-up to Christmas. A lot of people will welcome that. Right, we talked uh, a couple of times over the last few months to Harry McCann, who had quit refereeing matches years ago over being abused and, and threatened at one point. And then we found out that there had been some people threatened and intimidated here in Cork mercifully not as much as there seems to be around dublin Uh, because hundreds of junior soccer matches in dublin have been cancelled this weekend coming now uh, referees are protesting uh, against the abuse they're experiencing from the sidelines now as we said it's not as bad here in cork y'all united in particular have adopted a zero tolerance approach and it would seem to be working richard lane is their chairman richard good morning Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. It's great to see that it's working down there. What's, what does the zero-tolerance approach consist of,
8: though? Well, basically, if uh, any a coach or um, player abuses a referee, uh, he's in, immediately uh, reported to the committee who would sit down with him and his parents or the coach and um, discuss his behaviour and deal with that, uh, probably with suspensions or uh, expulsion, depending on the severity.
3: What prompted you to bring that in? Had there been incidents?
8: Well, look, there's incidents all over the country. Yes, there is. And look, we're 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 the same as every other club. Any any incidents in our club, we deal with immediately and swiftly. Um, but yes, we i I've I've witnessed several uh, occasions when uh, opposition coaches would abuse the referee, and um, you know uh, sometimes the referee will take a. a action uh, there and then and you know give a red card to the coach or whatever, and he'd have to leave the ground mm. or the parent and it's the club's respons- responsibility to remove that person yeah. uh, before the match resumes um, and it, look it's, it's just happening too often around yeah. the place uh, as I said what's happening is if a coach abuses a referee it gives the players on the pitch carte blanche to do the same thing because they see the person in the court, it.
3: People are, are often aggrieved by a referee's decision, uh, and I suppose they'll voice that. But there's a difference between that and what we see happening, isn't there?
8: There is indeed. Look, um, there there's a line there. Like we, we can all we all like. I'm a coach as well, and we all question referees' decisions. But there's a way to do it. There's a, a you know a polite way where you ask a decision. Why did he make that decision? He gives you the answer. You accept you accept his answer. Uh, there was a, a very important thing actually that, that um, came out on your talk show actually recently where the referee said. They, look, they make maybe hundreds of decisions every five minutes or whatever in the game they're not going to get them all right was and yeah. you have to accept that they're human beings you know they're, and they, they they do it for the love of the game they don't yeah. do it for the money they do it for the love of the game Yeah.
3: the other thing too of course is Richard that you might not like the decision but actually the, the, the referee is, is following the rules in fact if you watch rugby yeah. uh, where they have a TMO you often hear a panel saying at half time of the match well that was a harsh decision but the ref was right
8: yeah, God good today is I hope we have we have three more someday. Yeah. Uh, but again, look, we're on grassroots. Again, know, yeah, but, but I'm, I'm just thinking, thinking on the on the bigger time, stage yes.
3: people said the ref was right and there's gotta be someone in, in yes. the ground. Actually, you know what, lads? We didn't like that decision, but the ref was right.
8: Well, what we actually have implemented this month as well is that there's a liaison person within the club who approaches the referee.
6: Yeah.
8: Uh, he gives him a, We give him a little questionnaire for him to fill out after the match to leave us know how he felt about the match and how he's treated mm-hmm. and uh, any any issues that he would have within the match. And we, we obviously correlate those at the end of the month and uh, put it together and see where we go from there. Mm. But... Um, that person personally is in person then the referee can approach that person during a match or after a match and say look I'm not happy about this and we can uh, rectify it and act on it straight away
3: The most distressing part so, I think ha- seems to be as well Richard bring Massey in just a sec now but the the most distressing part seems to be it's at kiddies games it's at under 10s and under 12s this happens
8: It, it, it is it happens from you could say from 12s to 16s um, Look, it's 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 a heated um, atmosphere during a match, but you must remember you're dealing with children. You're dealing with little children that have sponge minds. They see you doing it, they're going to do it themselves. Yeah. You know, as adults, we have to remember that and just take that into consideration every time you watch a game. Your son might be on the pitch, but, you know, he sees you being aggressive, he's going to get aggressive. Yeah. Uh, I've often seen in matches actually where a coach gets grif- aggressive and for 10 minutes afterwards the players on the pitch are aggressive and they're uh, moti to the referee and everything from then on. Okay. You know, it calms down after a while again but for that 10 minutes there's a lack of, could be a lack of control because of what the coach had done. Okay,
3: stay there Richard for a second. I'll bring in Masi Uh Masi, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Good. You're a former referee as well. Do you think thing, things have changed from when you were refing uh, in, in terms of what refs have to put up with on a pitch?
9: Well, I only did refing for a short period of time when I was in the football academy in Cork. But yeah, I think I think this has always been here. There's always been a pattern. To this. I think it's really just came to effect. I think after the lockdown, we came back and there was I think there was 20 referees dropped out. So, but I was informed about this, and I could see it happening in the club. So what I did is I put a draft together and I contacted Eddie McInerney in in, in uh, the, referee, the Irish Referees Association and I put a draft together for him and I wanted to put a Referees Awareness Month. So that was back in September. And we start. So I got onto to Richard and Richard and the club were very supportive and everyone is getting behind each other here in y'all, which is fantastic. Yeah. And we put, the, put together this Referee Awareness Month. So they referees now are walking onto the pitches with, ref- with with the with the players. So straight away that gives a unity between the players and the referees before any any ball is kicked off. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. I see the... well, I've been up there now with all the games this weekend. I did seven games this weekend. And the kids are walking off and they're playing, the, they're singing the Champions League music and stuff like that. And straight away I could see the bond between the referee and the players before a ball was even kicked off. And look, the game goes on, referee makes decisions.
10: Yeah.
9: If the referee has only one angle. We have to remember that, that he has one angle of, the, of, the, yeah. of a tackle or, or, or the, in the decision that he has to make. And yeah. parents and coaches and players, they all look at it in a different way. So we have to understand that that's how he's seen it and we have to accept his decisions, how he's seen that decision that he's made. Yeah. That's how we have to go forward with it. So yeah. at the end of a game, so we after all that, no matter what, at the end of a game, we did it. We started so with the players applaud the referee off yes. the pitch. Yes. And no matter what decision was made during the game, no matter how anyone felt, at least we all appreciated each other walking off the pitch. I got that idea from I used to play rugby when I was younger, played under-18s and y'all, and I thought it was one of the best things I've ever seen. Is everyone applaud each other off the pitch after a game of rugby in in, uh, in the under-ages and all the way up to seniors. Yes and I thought that I just, I just thought if I brought that in, that might make a change because it's so effective in rugby. there's so much appreciation in in that gesture, yes. just by one gesture, and I yes. think it's working. I think it's really working. We've got a long month ahead of us, another couple of weeks, and we're going to learn so much from this and I was speaking to the referees Irish referees Association last night, and I hope that they accept us up to a committee meeting and we can tell them what we've learned from this month. And we can recommend anything going forward, and hopefully that they listen to us and and bring certain 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 ideas into the game. So we got to to change the game. We got to change how we view the game,
3: if you know if you know what I mean. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Did, did you yourself? I know mean you said you only ref for a short time, but did you get abused yourself from the sidelines when you were refing?
9: Yeah, I did. I was I was doing a tournament one time, and there was an incident. Um, it got really really out of control there uh, there was a decision made there was a confusion so what i did is i just picked the ball up everyone else was arguing away i picked the ball up and i put the ball into the middle of the field and I let the kids play and it and the whoever was arguing that they, they actually just stopped them and the kids just started playing it was it was uh, something that i took on board me still today like you know so it's about the kids on the field it's not about it's not about the people on the side the, the distractions on the sidelines is it
3: Yeah, that's a good and that's a good way to make make it about the youngsters on the pitch, bossy rather than the adults or the so called adults roaring at them from the sidelines. Mossy Clahassy and Richard Lane from Yall Soccer Club Yall United, the referee awareness month down there. I love the idea because it is. It's one of the great things about rugby that when the match is over and you'll see it Saturday, we saw it last Saturday the Japan game. We'll see it Saturday the All Blacks game that they will applaud regardless of the result. Ireland and the All Blacks will applaud each other off the pitch. It's 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 what's done in the sport. And that's a great idea, bringing that in down in, in y'all for the kids playing soccer. But you know what occurred to me? What is wrong with adults that they would start roaring and shouting and cursing and swearing over a game of ball among nine-year-olds? What's broken in you if that is the way you react to a decision you weren't happy about. Do you know what I mean? I can't understand this. Under-12's soccer and the adults roaring abuse at each other from the sideline. It's something wrong there. Like, you have to wonder, is it one of the reasons, and I'll throw this out there for what it's worth, it might be worth much, is it one of the reasons why some kids don't stay in sport? particularly is it some of the, one of the reasons why some girls don't stay in sport 1857 15996
0: Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With
2: McCarthy Insurance Group Call them now for motor, home, business, farm life and health insurance CMIG.ie They
0: can call me Wayne Hilton The so We On Quartz
2: 96 FM.
3: Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne teaser question. There's the latest celebrity gossip. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news.
2: Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen, where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range, including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See NewmarketVolkswagen.ie.
0: On Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live And we're ready to talk Can we just
2: talk Call 1850-715-996
0: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696
2: Email opinion at 96fm.ie
0: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
2: On Cork's 96FM
3: It's been confirmed there in the last half hour or so There is a briefing at 2 o'clock today Senior members of NEFIT to give a briefing at two o'clock today. We're not sure what it'll focus on, not a speculation as you can imagine. If we get any more, uh, we'll certainly let you know what is coming with that. Meantime, I've uh, been asked to mention uh, commemoration for the SS Ardmore. It's the memorial ceremony. It's taking place half two on Saturday, the 13th. Uh, Lord Mayor will officiate. Uh, The S.S. Ardmore was a ship or a carrier that was en route from Cork to Fishguard in 1940, a very long time ago, but it never reached its destination. It was carrying livestock. It was found 58 years later by a group of local divers somewhere near the Great Salty Island. And there was evidence of an explosion in the hull And it's believed it might have been hit by a mine, a German mine. Uh, Now, Noel, who contacted us uh, to know, could we mention the commemoration ceremony? Uh, His granduncle was one of only three bodies found of 24 crew. So that's on Saturday afternoon down at Penrose Wharf, commemoration of the SS Ardmore. It's a fascinating story. You'll find plenty on it if you go for a search. It's a fascinating story. Thanks for that, Noel, and uh, we wish you well with that ceremony. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. I hope this connection holds up because I want to talk to Dr. Susan Power, who is in Palestine. And I think, Susan, if you want to come home to Cork over the next while, you face a major problem. Good morning to you.
11: Good morning. How are you? Um, and thank you for having me on. Yes. Yeah. We have. Uh, like, I work for. Um, a Palestinian human rights organisation, Al-Haq, um, and they're the longest-running human rights organisation in the occupied Palestinian territory. Um, so we've been operating here since um, 1979, monitoring and documenting um, violations of international law, um, international human rights, and international humanitarian law on the ground. Um, so we we document violations both by the Israeli authorities and also the Palestinian authorities. And we, in fact, like we, we we document all sorts of stuff like. Um, house demolitions, forcible displacement, um, killings, torture practices, um, arrests, um, acts of persecution, apartheid, all this kind of thing. Um, And in recent days, like two weeks ago, um, the Israeli um, Minister of of Defence um, designated our organisation um, along with five other um, leading Palestinian human rights organisations as uh, terror organisations, um, so this was uh, this was absolutely like, unbelievable. Um, so that means like is really low like with this designation, um, that the the organizations are outlawed as terror organizations. Mm. And then everybody in those organizations is is, is acting as a, as, a, as a member of a terror organization. So immediately, like I'm a member of a terror organization under Israeli law. And then in recent days, in the, in the last couple of days, Israel has operationalized this in the West Bank, uh, where I'm based at the moment. Um, so it introduced a military order giving effect to the law in the in the occupied territory. Um, so what this, yeah, yeah. So what this kind of, what this means is that we could see um, arrests um, taking place, raids on the office, um, confiscation of the the property of the organisation. Um, we, we expect to see maybe even the um, uh, the, the attacks on the banking financial institutions and uh, maybe um, appropriation of the the financial the finances right. of the organisations as well. Susan, yeah, how did yeah. you
3: end up involved with with Al Qaeda and how did you end up in Palestine in the first place?
11: Well, I did my PhD in um, on the law of um, occupation. Um, back in in 2008. So even at that time, I'd spent a small bit of time out in Palestine. Um, It was only two weeks though, because I was doing it on like, my my thesis was on like different occupations. Um, And then I decided to go back and spend a longer amount of time in Palestine in about 2013. So I went back at that time and I based at Al Haq. And Al Haq in the Human Rights Award is very well respected. So it's won many of these prestigious Human Rights Awards and it's the leading Human Rights Award organization um, in Palestine. So I was really interested to base myself there and just Mm -hmm. to find out a bit more. Um, And while I was there then, I realized really what I was looking at, it wasn't a normal military occupation like what I'd studied. Um, It was very, very different. So that there was um, settlements being built. We'd seen layers of erasure and displacement of the Palestinians um, and wide scale forcible removal of the population. And then the transfer in of Israeli Jewish settlers to take their place. Yeah. Um, I kind of saw firsthand even um, even names, um, even place names and road names um, being erased and new Hebrew signposts being put up. And what I could really see was that there was a targeting of Palestinians based on their nationality and an erasure of the Palestinian people. And it was done with like various mechanisms um, by fragmenting them into different groups and under different administrative regimes. So we had, for example, where I am now at the moment um, in the West Bank, we have like Palestinians that are in these enclaves and were surrounded by walls and watchtowers. And Israel's continuing the colonization at quite an alarming speed here. Um, And then in East Jerusalem, we're seeing like the forcible displacement of Palestinians in the city to create a 70% Israeli-Jewish ratio to a 30% um, Palestinian demographic. And then separate to that, again, we see a fragmentation of Palestinians in Gaza where Gaza is going to be separated and segregated from the rest of Palestine and eventually possibly absorbed into Egypt. So it was clear to me it's not really a normal military occupation, what I'm used to studying. Um, It's better understood as an apartheid and possibly even acts of genocide. Um, And I knew when when I'd seen this um, that I had a moral obligation to continue working on this particular situation. Um, So I've been working on it ever since. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it's now a lifelong, it's now a lifelong work for me.
3: Yeah. Now, that decision to declare it a terrorist organization, that's been condemned by the UN and many other NGOs. Any possibility it could be overturned?
11: Um, Well, what we're seeing is, um, so this this designation is based on this um, really ridiculous document of evidence and kind of air quotes um, that Israel put together um, back last May. And it was really at that time looking to, uh, looking for the the EU to stop funding our organizations um, and to stop and to delegitimize us. Um, What we've seen in the meantime is the EU member states have basically said to, Israel that this old um this old file of evidence is completely um, shambolic and like there's no links and the links to terrorism are unsubstantiated from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they have done is deferred to Israel to say, look, you if, if you have evidence, go and show us. So now Israel has operationalized and passed this military order, and what we expect to see actually is the Israeli army ploughing through into the human rights organizations to try and arrest staff and find evidence and some Sorts of links to terrorism. Like, are you
3: fearful so, at the moment, Susan, for your safety?
11: I'm fearful for my safety and everyone's safety. I'm um, the staff. I'm more. I'm more afraid for our staff. I'm. Our staff are very, very frightened um, already. One of our staff members left yesterday, and lots of the staff members are talking about leaving. Um, people are really afraid that there'd be arrests. We're particularly afraid that the administrative staff and the accounting staff. Um, might be taken away and tortured um, to provide some sort of evidence of links to terrorism. Um, And we don't base that on any kind of false claims. We've already seen this happening in other organisations. So the Health Workers' Committee, for example, a few months back, was designated a terror organisation under a military order. Their accountants were arrested and they were tortured um, to give false evidence um, and also the head of the organization has been under, has been under um, detention ever since. Yeah. Um, and there's a sham trial going on, on, on against her at the moment. So yeah. people are frightened. Yeah.
3: Are you planning to stay or are you looking to get home, get out of it, get safe? What are you looking to do?
11: At the moment, I'm at the moment I'm looking to stay. Um, like with the situation as it is and with the work that we're doing, um the work that we're doing is too important now to to just leave, to just leave, to, to, to go to rack and ruin. Like at the moment, even just the week, just a couple, even the couple of days before Israel triggered this terror designation, we have been in contact with the prosecutor's office of the International Criminal Court. And we're in the middle of transferring like really huge files of evidence to the court um, yeah. of crimes that are being carried out in the occupied territory. So we've, we've a lot of work that we need to do around that. And we need to ensure that that work continues. Yeah. Yeah. We also believe that these that these terror designations is directly linked to try and stop us from continuing on with this work. So we'll still continue. We'll still continue on with this. We well, wish, wish, wish
3: you good luck and hope you stay safe. Simon Coveney, the Foreign Affairs Minister, was in that part of the world recent, recently. Like as as one Irish person to another, what what could he do for you and your colleagues, if anything?
11: Yeah, we were. I mean, it was such a comfort, really, to um, such a comfort for us that Simon Coveney, um really came up with a strong principled stance um, and really stood up for um, really stood up for our organisation um, and against these kind of malicious terror charges. Um, so we're really grateful for that, and we'd really like to see Simon Coveney take a lead role um, with the EU member states um, and to use his leverage in the EU um, to ask the members, the various member states, to pressure. The the Israeli Minister of defense to drop this terror designation because this is really a political act it's not a legal act and if there is sufficient pressure put by European states we do think there could possibly be a reversal of the terror designation but we'd like to see Ireland um would like to see Ireland take a real leading role in that because of um, Ireland's principled position and stance and Ireland along with France and Belgium, um, and Sweden have been very have been very vocal on this, and, and we really do appreciate it. Okay. Um, wh- yeah, one thing where we uh, one thing that where um, that we are. Li- a bit concerned about. Um, and outside of this has been um, the use, um, the uses of the, the Israel's operation of um, using terrorism um, and anti-Semitism to shut down human rights discourse in Palestine um, and to, to stop um, analysis and and, and 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 the watchdogs um, on the international crimes that it's carrying out in the occupied territory. So what we what we do see um, is, for example, Israel has said that. The ICC's um, opening of an investigation um, into its uh, into its crimes at the International Criminal Court, and um, that this is pure anti-Semitism. So we see this kind of weaponization of anti-Semitism and terrorism to shut down the to shut down the human rights discourse. Um, and what we, what we don't want to see is this kind of, uh, this discourse being shut down in Ireland as well. So we're a bit concerned that when Simon Coveney came back from his trip, that the first thing he said um, in relation to um, parliamentarians in the Dáil, that they had to be careful with their language um, because it would hurt the feelings um, of people that he had met in Tel Aviv mm, mm. Um, when we talk about the Palestinian conflict as um, it could be perceived as anti-Semitism. I would like to say that Um, While we do need all the support that we can get, we don't want to be silenced and prevented from speaking out. Our obligations are to the real victims of carpet bombing in Gaza and the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. And if that makes people feel uneasy and uncomfortable, I just want to say it's a whole lot worse for the Palestinians who are living here under Israel's apartheid regime and who are denied their nationality and acts that amount to genocide. And they are being forcibly transferred in mass ethnic cleansing so we really do say we urge we urge for there to be open frank exchange and dialogue that's not shut down at any level and not to transport um, not to transport these um, silencing um, mechanisms of terrorism and anti Semitism that we're seeing played out in the occupied territory, to not transport those pleas back into Ireland.
3: Okay, Susan, we wish you well and please do stay safe out there. Dr. Susan Power from Cork, uh, human rights lawyer with Al Haq, uh, one of the biggest human rights organisations, the oldest human rights organisations in the Middle East, recently declared a terrorist organisation. By the Israeli government. Uh, thank you, Susan, for being with us uh, from from Palestine. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Now Ed was saying, I heard PJ this morning say Israel had done great things with water, like desalination. Is he aware of the fact that the main thing they do is actually supply four times as much water per head to Israelis as they do to Palestinians? despite the fact they're taking it from aquifers under Palestinian territory, and that they defy farmers in Palestine of access to traditional springs, so they can build settlements. I really wish he'd check his facts. Ed, I did highest of respect for you, my friend, as you well know, we've spoken many times, what I was praising was the science. The behaviour with the science is another thing entirely. But I was praising the science, and in terms of desalination of water, uh, Israel, uh, as an entity... Uh, not as a government, but as an entity. It's way ahead in terms of the science. But Ed, thank you. I do appreciate that. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six.
0: Can we just talk? The opinion Line on Corks 96 FM. With
2: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Cmig.ie.
3: Noel was back on just to point out there was a slight error in our mention of the SS Ardmore. That event is on tomorrow. Tomorrow at half to Thursday, the eleventh of November, happy to clarify that No, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six there is such a thing as drug free psychiatric care it 's a whole discussion area in itself because tendency is when you 're talking about psychiatry you 're usually talking about medication and drugs, but there is a whole talking area, and indeed there is a place in Norway. Where they do psychiatry without drugs. It's called the Recovery Academy. Uh, the founder is Ole Andreas Underland, and he joins me. Uh, Andreas, good morning to you. Good morning, sir. Good morning. And very good to speak with you. I had a dear friend many years ago uh, called John McCarthy, who was a great advocate of drug free psychiatry. Uh, he's been passed away now many years, but he was a great friend. And, and, and I, I believe one of your colleagues, Lydia Sapona, uh, is involved. He was a, great, was a great friend of John's as well. The idea of drug-free psychiatry, where did it come from?
12: You know, it's the, it's the patients themselves. We have been uh, treating uh, mental disorders for nearly 60 years only by giving patients a diagnosis and giving them a medication. But if you look at the at the number of people suffering from mental disorders, the numbers are tremendously high all over the Western world. And um, the the, the main difficulty is, uh, as in Norway, the use of forced treatment. If you don't have any effect of medication, you are forced to take them. Uh, And that's a a big, big problem in Norway. But in uh, in Norway, the the parliament uh, in 2010 the The Parliament in Norway decided that every patient should be given a medication- free possibility all over Norway and And six years ago or close to seven years now, we started up the first uh, recovery centre that uh, that offered this uh, kind of treatment.
3: Traditionally, the psychologist was the person who sat across the table from you and counseled you through talk therapy, and then the psychiatrist was the person who, if you needed med- medication, helped you with that. So psychiatry without drugs, it seems like a bit of a misnomer.
12: You know, it's uh, the name medication-free treatment was given by the parliament, and the main goal the parliament's decision was to give the patient that had no effect of their medical treatment and alternative and today you know we, we know that somewhere between 10 to 40 percent of patients with psychosis for instance have no effect on their medication yeah. but still 97 percent of the patients with psychosis are given uh, <laughs> medication so there has to be another alternative yeah. and and the alternative is is to ask the patient what are your uh, uh, what kind of help you would need? you like to have
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. cuz i i read a book one time called anatomy of an epidemic uh, about how uh, america as a nation had become addicted to antidepressants the huge numbers of people taking antidepressants all, all the time and yeah. it's you know an academy like yours that's you you want to be the, totally different you don't like we we don't need so many people walking around taking antidepressants correct
12: yeah, so it's, it's obvious in 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 America, every 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 fourth uh, lady above the age of forty are on antidepressant. <laughs> and if you're looking at uh, the evolution of human mankind, it, it could it cannot be right that uh, our Lord uh, made a, a mismatch creating us, uh, because we, people we have always been able to to cope with life and with trauma and with uh, with stress. So the this en- enormous use of medication okay medication could be a good thing for you if if, 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 if you have an effect yes but if you don't if you only have the side effect it's it's a big big problem for you yeah and we know that the side effects of, of uh, especially the 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 antipsychotic are, are are very very tough for for the patients using them shorten their life by 20 to 25 years yeah
3: So, Anders, when a patient comes into your hospital and and they've had a crisis, what's your approach?
12: Our approach is a recovery-based approach. We're not not here to judge you or to focus mainly on your diagnostic, diagnose, but rather what kind of help do you want and you think you need. So we're using, in our program, an internationally uh, based uh, system called the illness management and recovery program which is is a self-learning program which is very efficient for people to learn how to cope with their life in in a way that uh, that keeps themselves in control of the system Mm. and of course when we look at um, when we see the resources freed from persons that for years have been categorized as helpless cases, yeah, often inhumanly treated, and seeing the, them regain control of their lives, rise and reach the goals, because this, every patient p- sets his or her own goals. And these goals are the rules which the people working here, which mm-hmm. is an completely ordinary psychiatric hospital with psychiatrists psychologists nurses and everything but we have a completely different um, uh, mentality yeah. we are-
13: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes
12: nice dress
5: uh, it's a it's a t-shirt
13: until you tried it on same goes for your health care
12: They are thinking what keeps a people healthy, we are not <laughs> uh, wondering about what, what makes you sick. Cause,
3: cause sometimes because sometimes when a person is in the, under the care of a psychiatrist, what happens is that they work their medication down to a point where they literally just take it every day to keep them okay and to keep them stable. And they can be on that for, for years. Is your view that they should never? some people never need to start that medication in the first place?
12: of course we 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 all um, we do have excellent medication offering for all kinds of diseases and but but if the medication don't help you uh, for instance uh, for people with psychosis then you have to try something else yes and and and, and every people wants to know what or no no matter what the health problem we all want to learn to manage the challenge that our health problems gives us in a way that let us live a normal as a normal life as possible and with this Little intervention and help from others as possible. And this is exactly the same issue for for patients suffering from mental disorders. Yes. And 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 we have to respect this. And this is this is uh, this is uh, said you now uh, from the UN and 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 this year also by the World Health Organization that the, the way we treat people with psychiatric diagnosis and mental disorders should be. Yeah, should be. uh, We need a revolution. They say. We need to yep. change, change
3: a lot of the things that we've been doing for years because some of them just haven't been working. Thank you very much for joining us. Ole Andres Underland from the Recovery Academy in Norway, joining us from Norway indeed. But today he's taking part remotely in the 13th annual Critical Perspectives in Mental Health Conference at UCC. It's a big long name organized by the School of Applied Social Studies and the School of Nursing and Midwifery at University College taking place today from half nine to half past five. And our thanks to Dr. Lydia Sapona at UCC, uh, assisting us uh, to get in touch with uh, Ole Andres. And I would always say, at the end of an item like this, if you are taking medication, or if a loved one is taking medication, make no decisions about your medication without medical advice. Do not make any decisions about your medication Without taking the proper advice. 1857 15996.
0: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With
3: McCarthy Insurance
2: Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. Cmig.ie.
0: Access all areas on Cork's
4: 96FM.
2: Your guide to nightlife on Leaside.
0: Hi,
4: it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. The Quiet Lights Festival presents extraordinary musicians Queveen O'Raleg, Kate Ellis and Queveen Gilmore performing as a stream trio, taking place at Triscoll Christchurch, on Friday, November 19th. Tickets are on sale now. Access all areas. Some shows coming up at city limits over the coming weeks include Emma Doran plus guests this coming Saturday night. Chris Kent plays two nights on Friday the 19th and 20th and Fred Cook is back in town to play the Coburg Street Comedy Club on November the 27th.
0: Access all
4: areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or a live stream coming up by emailing us here on AAA at 96fm.ie. Access all
2: areas. Areas. Your
0: guide tonight
2: my on side on Corks ninety six FM.
3: Just some comments on vaccines uh, that we were talking about with Luke O'Neill earlier on. Can you get a booster after five months, or does it need to be six? It's a clinical decision. Is the answer to that? But generally, yes. Catherine wants to know who's getting vaccines in the city hall at the moment. There seems to be a queue all the time. Are they getting boosters? Or what's the story? Who can get the booster? If you're eligible for a booster, Catherine, at the moment, your doctor will contact you and let you know. Uh, There's also... I think you can still get your first-time vaccination if you haven't been vaccinated yet at the City Hall is the answer to that. And here's another one. Please, it is erroneous... There's a lovely word. It is erroneous to compare January 21st to today. Please see the WhatsApp message for data on this day last year. No Delta, no vaccines, and 200. You're missing my point, whoever you are. Although I take your point, you're missing it. I was comparing the hospital numbers this very day with the hospital numbers back in January for the simple reason: is back in January we didn't have vaccines. Now we do. So we have a quarter of the number of people in our hospitals, even though our daily case numbers are very high. And that, the reason for that comparison, is without vaccines... And with vaccines. Yes, we didn't have Delta. That also caused a whole ton of problems. But your point is valid. (laughs) Except for the fact that it's not an erroneous comparison. But thank you. 1850-715-996. Should new council houses be given to existing tenants with a good track record? And then we take the older stock, upgrade it, and use that for new applicants. In other words, should new council houses currently being built should they be available to people who are presently living in older stock or keep them for for new tenants coming in? A question raised by Councillor Des Cahill. Des, good morning to you.
14: Morning, PJ. Why would you think that would be uh, appropriate? Well, I just posed the question. I'm not necessarily in agreement with it because a number of people have suggested it to me that I suppose... If you look at and I suppose just to have some kind of vague some some idea of numbers, so there's nine thousand, I would call it, housing stock that we've had for a good while. And we've up to eleven thousand now. So about two thousand between newly bought and newly built in the last three years. Um so just to give a comparison, so it's not too so it wouldn't obviously affect any of the houses that are there now, but there's approximately going to be another thousand houses over the next um, 12 months come on release. Sure. And as people, I suppose, as tenants, um, and as a lot of extremely good tenants we've had, um, are, you know, I suppose the track record, the, you know, good track record of, of being good neighbours, um, rent and so on, and it must be said that the rental income from the city is a very high percentage. It's, it's a very small percentage that there's difficulties with rent, so it's not a rent issue at all. It's just that somebody said, and I just thought about it after I said maybe it's something we should discuss in council that it would, on, on one level, to reward, I suppose, those who have been tenants for, you know, 10, 15 years and, and beyond, whose houses could probably do with a little bit more work than they can afford or wait for. Um, and they would go into the newer houses right. where there would be, you know, less maintenance costs, less heating costs, less everything else. And... Um, that their stock would then be in turn used um, right. for newer tenants. So I have a nice.
3: So so I've been living in a council house for ten or fifteen years, we shall say, and it's in good dick, but it could do with better insulation. It could do with a bit of an upgrade. So you say to me, or the council says to me, look, uh, we've a nice new house coming on on stream there in mid twenty twenty two. Do you want it?
14: Yeah, and. While I accept that the insulation, there has been a very good insulation scheme going on for the last number of years. I'm just years. using insulation
3: as an example, Des, you know? Yeah,
14: no, 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 and, and you're right. And the boiler upgrade and all of that have been done. It's, 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 the numbers won't be huge. I'm only saying that they, I mean, it, let's say it's a thousand out of the nine thousand that's already there. Sure. Um, there is, I suppose we do something similar with, um, you know, you might be familiar, PJ, with Arisvira, Vera, which is the really nice scheme across on Skihard Road across from yes. St. Michael's. Springville House will be the same, and we're doing others around the city, where we're providing smaller houses with better insulation, new, to, you know, and possibly an, an older couple whose family have grown up in a council house, and then they downsize and we release the, the larger houses to the families that are, are, are on the waiting list. And that's a very successful one. It's, I suppose it's a hybrid of that. Would you expand, expand that, use a bit of that thinking? And I suppose a reward on one level, I suppose, maybe to tenants if they so wished. Um, yeah. And- then in turn do up the other houses yeah it's you know I mean it's just it, something
3: I mean, worth I mean. were thinking about worth discussing just a couple of things have co- come up there's one in particular was on the examiner yesterday I'll just come back to it but we got this message we get these quite frequently hi PJ mm. any chance you could ask your listeners if they know of any landlord renting out a two bedroom house the house I currently rent is an old damp house full of mould It affects my child's health my child has missed eight days in school already this year over the effect of the mould He's sick every couple of weeks. I've doctors letters for the council telling them it's not good for our health living here. And she's living in a private accommodation, getting a hap, not a council house. She's she's on the list for the last seven years. It's people like that really did. Shouldn't they be prioritized for a nice new house?
14: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, but a, a new house and a and a house that's in good condition, you know, there's two set they're two separate things. Yeah. Um Two bed is extremely difficult and I think we need to start building more ones and twos. Yes. Um, only recently, I don't know if you saw it, was advertised that the planning application for in um, Avenue Durain, where the old Lakelands pub was, yeah. was for a lot of one and two beds. And while a lot of people are against them, I think we need to, you know, realise that I think it's about 50% of the entire list are, are, for, are for one beds, yeah. but they're not being built or provided. So... Yeah. So absolutely in that instance, I mean, again, uh, they're linked, but I suppose they're not the same. That person absolutely needs to be housed properly. And I, I, I can tell you, I'd say most councils are the same. Most issues like that that we come across are from private rented accommodation, not yeah. council rented accommodation. Yeah.
3: And, and and that and, shortage you know, of ones and twos in, in council accommodation, like people say, oh, why are ones and twos? Of course there are so many so many people who are in danger of homelessness or living in kips they, they just need one bedroom or two bedrooms. They, they don't need a big three bedroom house.
14: Yeah, and for me, I was wasn't in favour when the when my own party government uh, kind of got rid of bedsits. I think bedsits had a very good purpose for their time, and I, I think throwing all bedsits out. I yeah. think it was was a poor but poor decision I think actually the,
3: the green party came up with that idea back in the day and then all those took took it up and it's it's it, like you said not all bedsits were, were 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 dives Des, just on the front page of the echo or the examiner yesterday morning was this story that some houses uh, that become vacant it takes the council nearly 2 years to turn them over the average is about 62 to 63 weeks why on earth if i leave the council a house in good nick
14: why yeah no it's this is a this is an annual problem but i'm surprised the number is still that high i wondered if covid have anything to do with it and the reason i say that is that about 10 years ago when i started the list there was about 550 derelict houses and that number was kind of static for a long time you're probably aware of that yourself and we made great inroads into clearing that list down. And if you imagine that the, the number of 500, the first 200 are easily done because they less work to do. The next 200, not so easy. But the last 100 were the ones, the really difficult ones, that were borderline needing demolition or held up in a legal argument. Um, and those are dragging down the numbers. Yeah. But the amount of houses that are turned out now is far greater than had been.
3: We, there was a time when we were ripping out good kitchens and bathrooms and skipping them and re and and putting all generic stuff
14: back. Are we still doing that? To a certain level I'd say they are. And I think the frustrating thing is is that if if you're given a house say now and it's and you keep it well as most people do and in 10 years time you're moving out for whatever reason, the legislation of where the sockets need to be and this and that will have changed and by law, the councils have to upgrade them, even though we would kind of look. We can I argue: do we really need to move to all the safety? Well, a safety inspection would tell you whether it's safe to to, to be lived No, but there's a very strict regulation, uh, legal binding, you know, legally binding sure. agreement, uh, legislation that if a council is taking over a house and re and redistributing uh, uh, it, it has to be up to the modern code. I have yeah for lots of these things, and that's where. Yeah. Common sense on one level goes out the window.
3: I got gotcha. you. That's, that's the reason why. Yeah, I got you. Talking to an an electrician and a plumber in my own house in the last year or so. Desi, yeah, they they have got regulation up the wazoo at the moment. I'll take that one. Thank you, Councilor Des 185715996. Any thoughts on that though? Giving out the new houses to people who are living in a council house that needs to be upgraded. Uh, just a couple of more things coming in on the Palestine, my discussion with Dr. Susan Power. Uh, I did write a letter, Michael says, to the Irish Examiner some time ago on terrorism. The question is, who has the right to declare an organisation or individual a terrorist? The latest move by the Government of Israel targeting NGOs is another example. Yeah. 1850 715
0: Can we just talk? Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in
2: person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C-M-I-G Feels
8: good.
0: <laughs> Cork's 96FM's 10K toy giveaway is back.
6: I, I-, I-, I got a pocket full of
2: giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees for free for free Take him on
0: a listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long then
2: text or what's up in for your chance to win
0: on 083-396-9696 feels good Cork's 96FM's 10k toy giveaway starts Monday from 6am
2: with Douglas Village Shopping Centre for toys food, fashion and lifestyle 50 years at the heart of the village
0: only on Cork's 96FM We've been talking over the last couple of weeks
3: to a number of people attending uh, COP26, number of activists and the contributors uh, to COP26 over the last fortnight and another one it draws to a close I think tomorrow and there'll be an international agreement or statement released of the intentions coming out of COP26 in terms of climate change for the future. Mayor Kelly is a student climate activist at UCC. Have you been there? Are you still there, Mayor? Good morning.
15: Hi, hi. Uh, Can you guys hear me okay? Yes,
3: clear as a bell. Are you in Glasgow or are you back?
15: Amazing. I'm in Glasgow. I'll be in Glasgow until Saturday morning. And yeah, I'm out there at the moment. I'm actually in the green zone today, but I'll be going over to the blue zone where the action is kind of happening at the moment in terms of negotiations and speaking and events and things like that.
3: We'll, we'll get this, is it statement or communique or whatever they call it, tomorrow when it's all over? And what would you like to see in that?
15: Um, There's lots of things, I suppose. The main thing I'd like to see, and it might be a little idealistic looking at, at I suppose, the way things have been going in terms of COP this year, but I'd really like to see more climate justice featured so like a message of that throughout it all um that it's you know looking at climate change through a a human rights lens and looking at it um looking at how it affects people and you know a real call for support and solidarity for the most affected people and places but I I don't know if that's actually going to happen. I think that's <laughs> I think that might be a bit unrealistic. For we all know what, wish, what climate but, change
3: is and what we need to to do about it and try to do about it collectively as a people globally. But what talk to me a minute or two about okay. climate justice? What do you see that as?
15: Okay, so I I love this because. Um, it kind of brings together people and the planet together. I think often we look at climate change as a solely a scientific issue, a scientific challenge. And what climate justice looks at is it it's informed by science, it's uh, founded on science, but it looks at the the looks at climate justice through a human rights lens. It looks at how people are affected. Um, it looks to support those who have been most affected by climate change. So you know, a lot of the communities who, um, who are facing the worst effects of climate change are those who are least responsible, and it calls for a, it calls for responsibility and accountability, but also solidarity because to truly, truly challenge or address climate change, it has to be a, you, you can't leave anybody behind, it has to be a just transition in terms of policies, it has to be together as, as I suppose a global community and often I think with a lot of the discussion around climate change we can see here at cop that the you know the, the, a lot of the communities who are most affected by climate change couldn't even get into the get to Glasgow let alone into the room itself yeah. for the discussions so those voices are really missing and that's why I want more climate justice in these discussions yeah. because it's missing.
3: You're coming from West Cork, a rural area, and throughout the course of COP26 uh, and um, our own climate plan here uh, in at home, it's the farmers who've been saying, "Hold on a second, we, we can't do that quite so easily. You'll destroy our industry." Do you, do you take that on board?
15: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think I think farmers shoulder and a ridiculous amount of the blame, and are experienced so much and finger-pointing towards them in terms of climate. I, I don't think that's fair or, or just at all. I think that we need to support farmers a whole lot more in, in looking to tackle climate change. You can't just, all of the time, people are there like, oh, it's the farmers' fault, you know, they've got to change. You have to change. And I don't think going up to someone and going, you must change because we tell you to, is going to <laughs> achieve anything. I know if someone says that to me, I'm like, no, I won't. Why? Um, I think that we must, our government must um, show a lot more support and empathy for the situation farmers are in, because at the end of the day, they are one of the closest communities to our land, to our environment, to our ecology. And so we really need to work with farmers in this, not against farmers. And it has to be, we have to listen more closely to what farmers are saying, the agricultural community, like... From coming from like a very rural area I've met so many people who, who want to change, who want to adapt, who want to be more environmentally friendly but don't have the support or the resources to do yeah. so yeah. I think that link is what needs to happen
0: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk?
2: Call 1850-715-996.
0: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
2: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
0: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On
2: Cork's 96FM.
3: Yeah, we got a message uh, on the phone from someone who said, my medical card has been taken off me with no explanation from the HSE. I rang the office of my local TD and was told they've been contacted by a lot of people in the same situation. It's very frustrating as we can't get answers. This happened a few years ago, caller. It was a huge thing. Actually, when James Riley was Minister for Health, this started happening to people out of the blue. And the only advice that was given at the time was immediately appeal the decision. Immediately lodge an appeal. And then they won't take it off of you until the appeal is seen through. And an awful lot of people won their appeal. So that's the only advice that anyone can give you. And that was the last time it started to happen was when James Riley was Minister for Health a few years ago now of course so start an appeal straight away against the removal of your medical card and uh, th- 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 that they should while the appeal is pending then uh, you, they'll leave it with you that's the only thoughts we have on that one immediately but if it's happening again that's unfortunate. It happened years ago and hundreds of people, children and all, lost their medical cards over some strange desktop assessment that was going on. And loads of them got them back. Loads of them. My, my dad lost his medical card at one point. Stupid decision like that done on a desktop. We got it back for him, obviously. But uh yeah... It was ridiculous. Thank you for that, though. 1850-715-996. Quick reminder, every year in Cork, thousands of you get together and help us and association with our friends at Cork Simon with our Christmas Jumper Appeal and it's back this year to raise vital funds Cork's 96 them getting together with Cork Simon again asking you to host your Christmas Jumper Day whenever you feel safest doing so either at home or in the office or online or maybe a big Zoom call with all your friends overseas and here at home do whatever you like you can get a fundraising pack at CorkSimon.ie and you can join us here at Cork's 96mm as we help to fight homelessness in Cork. 1850 715 9916. Teen Talk has been going on now for quite some time, reaching uh, wider audiences as it grows. And tremendous, first of all, what it is all about, the whole idea of a Teen Talk. I am joined by Niall O'Callaghan, who's the organiser. Niall, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Delighted. It's been going for a while. What is it? What's it all about?
1: Yeah, it's been going for no, about four years
3: there, now.
1: Niall. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, it's been going for about four years now, PJ. So it's an, an event that's aimed at TY students all over Carr County. And it's all around health and wellbeing, but particularly mental health. So what we would do is we would just bring in bring in speakers just to inspire, motivate, give tips and tricks to TY students on how they can best manage their mental health, um, just tips on mindfulness and just really, you know, living their best lives ultimately. So we're holding an event this year. It's going to be a, a live stream event on Thursday, the eighteenth of November. It's a it's an online virtual event this year, but it'll be going out to to all the schools in Cork County. All the schools have been have been made aware of it. So a lot of them are, are registering for it. Now we want to make sure to get all the schools in registered for it.
3: Transition year is a great opportunity to do something like this, isn't it? Now, because they have, they kind of have the time to focus on it.
1: Absolutely, you know, a lot of different things would go on during transition year, and there's no better time to, you know, to get this this real life learning. You know, and a lot of the things that we would speak on during the event, they really give you lots of tools that you would bring on for the rest of your life. You know, I mean, um, even from being at the event myself over the last few years, I've learned a lot from them myself. So. Um, some great tips and you know tips and tricks there and learnings from them. They're they're remarkable.
3: You also have a, a, an event for parents this year. Tell me about
7: that.
1: That's, that's right. It's a, an add-on event. It's called Gen Z. So this is aimed at parents, particularly of the Ty students, but it will be parents of all teenagers really. And it's really to give parents an understanding of what teenagers are going through these days. Um, and for example, this year we have Maureen Gaffney, who's one of our leading psychologists in Ireland, who's going to be, you know, giving an understanding to parents of, of like even the brain development and psychology of teenagers and how we might be able to, first off, understand what they're going through and be able to be compassionate and kind to them, and then also to support them as well in terms of, of listening and, and working with them through a, t- it's a time of, of great change and challenge being a teenager.
3: And where can parents find out about that?
1: Yeah, so that's publicly available. It's going to be, there's links on that on just the Cork County Council social channels. Um, and we'll send it out to the schools as well. So we'll be asking the schools to, to share that with all the parents of their students.
3: Okay. All right, uh, Niall. And we wish, wish you a good event. One of those taking part uh, this year is Cork footballer Orla Farmer. Orla, good morning.
10: Good morning, PJ.
3: You'll be taking part in this event. Um, why, I guess. Why, do, why are you so interested in, in dealing or talking to the TY kids? What message have you got for them?
10: Um, I suppose, really, I'm absolutely delighted to be part of it. Um, and I think, you know, my talk is is about sharing my own sporting experience, um, both the success, but also, you know, the side of, of losing games and, and what I've learned in the process, and I suppose how that can help young young people you know in, in terms of their own lifestyle and their own choices um i suppose w- when it is a ty a ty event i remember when i was a ty student and that's kind of when i wanted to play for cork you know that was my goal that was my aspiration um and little did i know a year later i was called onto the the senior team and i think it was in ty at that stage where i kind of realized like yes i want to progress with football but also off the pitch, you know, with my career, that I, I definitely knew I wanted to go down the route of sport and empowering others through the medium of sport as well. So I suppose really, like, I'm just excited to kind of share my story, my lessons learned, and if I can inspire um, and impact young young people, particularly mm-hmm. at this time, then, you know, all the better.
3: Transition year didn't exist when I was the age to do it, but, but I can imagine one of the things going through, and maybe you could answer this question, you did, T.Y., it's a time in your life where you kind of don't know what's going on and you're Mm -hmm. excited and you're afraid in equal measures.
10: Mm -hmm, Absolutely and I think in this day and age you know just with all the perceived pressures and trying to kind of conform in society and you know social media and things I certainly wouldn't have had that when I was in TY Um, and there's just extra added pressures now and you know feelings of overwhelmment and you know anxiety and things that can creep in. Um, but I suppose just really to kind of highlight to the young people that it's okay to feel like that and you know it's okay to not not, not knowing this. Um, that will come naturally with age and things, but it's just to kind of really you know be brave and to try out new things and to get stuck into different things and learn new things and meet new people. Um, because essentially that's what TY is all about too. And um, I suppose with my talk, it's kind of obviously related to sport. So, yeah. you know, a lot of the tools that I've learned in sport, like with resilience and, you know, coping with failure and teamwork and, you know, taking accountability for, for certain things both on and off the pitch. Mm. Um, Hopefully that will kind of help young young students as well to kind of, in other areas of their life, not just sport, but just to kind of help them, um, particularly mm. with, with COVID-19 and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
3: Because mid to late teens is a time, isn't it, Orla, where a lot of Youngsters make that decision ah, I'm packing in sport. couldn't be bothered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'd be an advocate for no, no no no, no, stick with it. no matter how small a part you play, stick with it.
10: Absolutely. And I mean I can't highlight enough you know the opportunities and the benefits that I've taken from sport myself. Um, you know I, I always think back of when I was in primary school, it was my fifth class teacher who encouraged me to go and join my local club and you know had I not done that. I wouldn't be where I am now um, and, you know, both enjoying football, but also, you know, in a career with sport education. So, like, it's it's a massive dropout rate, you know, every, every year we're seeing more and more young people dropping out. And, you know, I think only 10 percent, I think a recent study showed only 10 percent of adolescents are actually only getting the 60 minutes of physical activity every day, which is quite worrying. Um, but there are so many benefits, like not only just the physical side of it, the mental side, you know, the social side, like most of my best friends and best buddies now are, you know, girls that I've, I've played football with all my life. And like you won't get those experiences and just even off the pitch as well, like just with my career and um, looking for jobs later in life, like the, the GAA and sport and, and everything, that sense of belonging and that sense of community, I think, really mm. helps um, you develop.
3: You also mentioned the pandemic and of course there will be a focus in this event on the effect of the pandemic on teens and, and sometimes, Orla, it is easy for those of us who are older to be unfair to them. They've missed an awful lot.
10: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was so unprecedented and, you know, even I felt the effects as well when we had no training and, yeah. you know, like it's it, it, it was a hard one really but I think it kind of made a lot of people realise as well the importance of being part of, of a group and being part of, you know, community and even things like physical exercise as well and just getting out for some fresh air. Um, yes, we, we lost a lot of time there. But however, it's it's never too late to get involved. And, you know, it's it could be just something simple as walking to school or walking to work and, you know, taking the stairs instead of the lift. And um, small little steps that you can take, I suppose, to kind of keep fit and active because what we do know is that by doing that you are going to feel better um, and there's only all positives really from it. Um, so although we have missed out on a lot with sport, with, you know, with what not over the last kind of two years like now is the time to kind of make those positive changes and steps um, in the right direction okay. in terms of physical activity and keeping fit as well
3: Okay, Orla, thanks for being with us That's Orla Farmer, Cork footballer, she'll be part in team talk and also the organiser, uh, Niall O'Callaghan The event itself is on November 18th, streaming to schools and the adults event, the parents event is on November the 23rd team talk, Cork County Council you'll find out more and get links and, and all of those precious things 1850
0: Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Corks 96FM With McCarthy Insurance Group
2: Call them now for motor, home, business, farm life and health insurance CMIG.ie Fully focused What do you mean? Got my eyes on a prize That's me
0: Manchester City are the champions Number one That's the best football league
4: in the world is right here.
0: Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Whoa, what
4: a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie.
2: Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre match analysis, live commentary, and in depth interviews with some legends of the sport
5: the Premier League live with now stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports
2: extra membership
3: listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie
0: or download the Cork's 96fm app can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
2: Call us now,
0: 1850-715-996. On Courts, 96
3: FM. Bit of a discussion started on the phones about the merits and demerits of transition year. All I know is I wish transition year had been around when I was in school. I think I've never met anybody who didn't benefit in some way from, from T.Y., it's a whole break from the academia for a year and you learn to approach new things and think about new things. I'll, I'll read out those comments in a wee while. Also, why would anybody want to ban ads like this?
10: As your baby develops, they need the right textures and nutrients. That's why weaning takes time, all the way to one year. Everybody.
3: Because somebody does.
10: Malupa Cereals can help your baby get the right nutrients...
3: That they're coming up in the Oireachtas to ban ads like that. More on that in a wee while. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. But around this time of the year is when we start picking up our diaries and our year planners for the year ahead. And a local psychotherapist here in Cork has created a 2022 planner that is, like everything else, like every other planner, It's it's a diary, but it also... Um, helps you to organise your te- yourself in terms of self-care and dealing with stress. Beth-Anne O'Riordan, good morning to you.
13: Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me.
3: Delighted. I was scanning through your little planner early this morning and it functions perfectly as a diary, but there's lots of other things in it too. Where did the idea come from?
13: Well, you know, I've been working with people for over 15 years now. So really, it's kind of a nod to all those people I've met along the way, who I've seen change. And I think as well, at the moment, there's so much out there in the news, and that is a bit scary, that can fill people with fear. But the thing that's really in our control is how we look after ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally, all of that. So that's, That was kind of my motivation was to provide a low cost thing that would really help people create balance across their life.
3: Mm. A couple of things we've we've had to realise in in recent times, Beth, and one of them is, isn't it, that self-care is not selfishness and that you are entitled to self-care
13: yeah that's it I mean I, th- I think the biggest thing is that we're really kind of up against it with our minds you know not none of us chose our minds but all of our minds are very complicated and we can we can suffer with difficult emotions and we can become overwhelmed. I kind of think of it like we have an internal reservoir and as the day goes on, that reservoir gets depleted and we need to do more and more things to increase that internal reservoir so we are then can make ourselves number one in our lives and we're able for our lives and the things that come our way on a day-to-day basis.
3: Looking at the, the book, at the planner, as I said earlier this morning, I noticed that there's a way that you could pl- plot out, even if it's only 30 minutes a day, and say that's the time for me to take care of me and nothing else.
13: Yeah, I think so. And you see, the thing is... Like, you know, one of my goals with it was to really simplify self care because we're really lucky living in Ireland. There's so much self care options available to us. There's so many things that we can do. But the real task and to integrating your self care and making a plan that works for you is to figure out what works for you in particular. You know, what do you like? Are you a morning or an evening person? When do you need to rest? When do you need to stop? And I think a really important part of this is watching who we spend our time with as well. You know, are we with people who cheer us on or are we with people who bring us down a bit? And this is all part of our self-care.
3: Should we write down and take time to write down the things that we like to do for our own self-care? Like, for example, purely personally, I love to sit down with a good book that has nothing to do with what I'm working on.
13: Oh, me too. I love that. <laughs>
3: and I find that half an hour very therapeutic.
13: Yeah, I think so. Do you know what I have? I have... um. I have a self-care box, right? Because like, okay, so I'm a mom of three kids. They are seven, eight and 10. And sometimes life is really busy. And it's like we can almost forget what to do that makes us feel good. So I bought an armchair for myself a few years ago and I've gradually increased all the stuff around it. So it's like my self-care corner of the room now. And I have a box beside me every night. And in that box, there's a book, there's a magazine, there's my phone charger if I do need it, but I can just put the phone away if I need to. And there's bits and bobs in there that make me feel good. So I don't even have to think about it. And that's what this diary does. This diary helps people figure out okay, like what kind of books do you like? You know, like for me, because my job obviously can can be very serious, it's, you know, all about emotions. I love a good rom com. So we got Sky recently, and I've loads of like total rom com (laughs) chick stuff recorded on the telly. I have my rom com books because it creates the balance that I need my life. Yeah. Then on the opposite of that, my husband's mad into like a good murder mystery or some crime thing on the telly, but that's what works for him.
10: Yeah, You know? Yeah. So
13: yes, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're, down. you're very
3: typical of, of a lot of my listeners being a busy working working mom, it's easy for me my kids are in their 20s now and, and they're getting on with their lives yeah. it's easy for me but yeah. a busy working mom, like you're looking to take some time for yourself in the day, then things happen and you just can't so you feel even more stressed because you've not been able yeah, to do that, it. you know
13: yeah, and and I think you see a big part of the, uh, uh, you know, a big part of life. And I talk about this in the diary is is kind of learning to go with the flow, you know, and and that sometimes we can make these plans. Like I I, I go to a choir on a Monday night, and at the moment I can go because my oldest son has broken his wrist, so I don't have to take him to soccer on a Monday. But like I don't know if I'll be, able, I know, right? <laughs> but I don't know if I'll be able to commit to that going forwards, and I may have to force go it and i may say okay well i can't do that right now but instead what can i do for myself when the kids go to bed that nurtures me you, and the you other thing i've done to Mom you know you,
3: sorry go ahead. <laughs> go
13: ahead
3: go ahead sorry what you're saying
13: Oh, no, sorry. The other thing I say to moms is is to just try and take a break, you know, every couple of hours. Just sit down and see if you can have like a sip of a cup of tea or a a whole cup of tea and the house won't fall down around you. The kids will be fine. You, You know, like they just will be.
3: Yeah, I'm laughing at that. Like that, you can you can go to your choir because his wrist is in plaster. He probably has I no know. idea how much of a break you're. <laughs> 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 I know there's something
13: very warped about it, isn't there? But look, this is life is. It, no, you know? It's being
3: it's being it's being a parent and grabbing what you can for yourself. The other thing oh, too, God, I, I, I can never under and I don't know if this is a man or a woman thing, right? Um and maybe you can but part of looking after oneself. Stop yeah. doing stuff in the house. Have a housework curfew.
13: Yeah, I think so. I think it's really important. You know, I I think you see people like this idea of the day ending and things looking perfect yeah. and kind of but I think sometimes we just have to um we have to take the pressure off and reduce expectations and get down to a level of functioning. You know, like, functioning is okay. Two socks on the kids is grand. They don't have to be matching. You know, like, I think I think sometimes, like, I, I think sometimes, like, the expectations are so high yes. that we set on ourselves. Or, 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 or
3: why, uh, why the hell are you sweeping the floor? There's going to be cereal on it at 7 a.m.
13: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we—I got a puppy for that reason. So I don't have to sleep anymore. She just she goes around and does a good job for me. But I hope she I think, keeps the other
3: half of the bargain out the back, though. <laughs>
13: <laughs> I mean, but you know, I think I think you make a good point. I think, you know, I think the role of a mom has changed. So we're told at the minute, like women, you can have it all. You can work, you can be a mom. But it's like having two or three jobs at once. So something does have to give. Yeah. And I know in my household, I am at my very best to my children and myself if I put myself as number one. You know, and that means that sometimes we all get involved, like one sweeps, one does the dustpan. Or it means that sometimes we're walking on crispies for the whole day. Yeah. And that's okay, you know, and that's life, right?
3: And sometimes you just say, ah, to hell with that pot. I'll wash it tomorrow.
13: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's me, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and
3: great talking to you. Yeah. As I say, I wish you well with uh, the, your self-care Diary or self-care planner for 2022. Thank you, Bethann O'Riordan, 1850-715-996. Thing in our house, I'm odd about this. I love at night, before I go to bed, to make sure the kitchen is sparkling clean. And I'll wipe it down, and I'll put everything away, and I'll empty the dish all this I love it, it's just... It's therapy to go to bed and leave a nice, clean kitchen, because I'm the first into it, again, at half past six... Weekends? (laughs)
0: Weekends? <laughs> to hell with it! Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Courts 96FM With the Insurance Group Courts 96FM Now
3: you hear ads like this and they pop up on YouTube and they pop up on the telly from time to time they're harmless enough...
10: As your baby develops, they need the right textures and nutrients. That's why weaning takes time, all the way to one year. Malupa Cereals can help your baby... There you go. That's just an
3: ad from Malupa Baby Food. But a recent decision by the Media and Culture Committee of the Eractus is to place a moratorium on advertising those products, particularly online. Uh, There's been increasing debate among health professionals, it says, over the respective virtues of breastfeeding versus bottle feeding. So now this committee has come up with an idea that you can't use an ad like that online in Ireland. Now, Senator Tim Lombard nearly lost the plot and said it was extraordinary. He said, we're treating baby milk like gambling and internet pornography. Where is the logic? Plus, he said it's another unnecessary blow to Irish farming. It's a counterproductive move, he said, which stigmatizes those who wish to bottle feed. Now, I don't know whether that's over the top or not. Um, let's bring in Christopher O'Sullivan, Fianna Foll, TD for Cork Southwest. Christopher, uh, were you as aghast at this decision as Tim
5: Longward was? Good morning. Morning, PJ. First of all, I need to apologize for this annoying bell that's going on in the background. Well, sure used well used to it, Well used to it. I think there's a Shannon vote or something. I not yeah. know. They they haven't turned up yet. But uh was I as a guest, look, I I'll certainly say that I had my concerns by its inclusion. Um as look I I'm on the uh Aractus Committee on on media uh, and sports uh, and tourism. Um, and, yeah, I, I had my concerns by its inclusion for the same, I guess, reasons that uh, you stressed there that Senator Lombard outlined in terms of um, putting it in the similar category as as uh, junk food and gambling. Uh, and also the uh, impact that it would have on, um, I suppose, farmers in the dairy sector. But most importantly, and this is the most important thing for me, is that in some instances, um although we all advocate for um the motto, breast is best and that obviously um you know, there's significant evidence out there that uh breastfeeding at that early age is is far more beneficial than uh, formula in some instances um mothers have uh, no other option for whatever reason um whatever medical reason whatever issues they are are having that, that that may be had that they, they don't have any other options, so it, it was I, I had my concerns that maybe there was this kind of element of judgment being brought into to, to it that mothers who would go down the baby formula uh, route uh, maybe judged, but you know it, we had to tread carefully there, but just to say just to disagree slightly with Tim in terms of he's saying that they're being lumped in with um gambling and uh, as, as you mentioned internet pornography um it, they're not okay the the recommendation in relation to junk food and gambling and foods of high sugar content, that's for a ban on online advertising in the instance of, of, uh, Infant formula. The recommendation that has been brought forward here is for a moratorium. Uh, so that would be a, a temporary ban, I guess, so yeah. that legislation can be brought forward to see if this has any impact in, in encouraging more women. Woman- and
3: Christopher, as well as the for the clarification, that, is this fact, would would this be that if I go to find something or someone goes to find something on YouTube, for example, that you can't advertise Malupa or or other such products? on the, in the course of that watching that video you can't see an ad or you can't put an ad for for this for that on say the RTU player or the Virgin Media player is is that what you're talking about
5: that and and, and uh, targeted um Advertising towards Facebook groups and targeted advertising on Facebook—it would, would be one in particular. But I get listen. It, in terms of what's recommended in the report, you have that recommendation. It's recommendation two that the com- committee recommends a moratorium on advertising inf- infant formula products online. Um, the problem, another concern that I had in terms of this bringing this recommendation in is that there was no stakeholder engagement. So, for example, we didn't have stakeholder engagement engagement with uh, medical experts in relation to this rationale, but neither did we have um, uh, engagement with uh, mothers or parents uh, in relation to bringing this forward. this uh, Uh, recommendation was brought forward by her chairperson. And in fairness, I think the bona fides of her bringing this to the uh, report were very, very uh, genuine. She did it in consultation with the Fianna Women's Group, uh, number one, but also... Um, that women's group had had a serious level of consultation that we didn't have yeah. with um, with, adverse, with uh, mothers' advocacy groups who were recommending this. So okay. that's where it came from. It's it's all come it's also come from the fact that the WHO recommend this, that they have a code of conduct that Ireland has signed up to, sure. and their code of conduct recommends that the ban. Uh, that is is there in certain countries now for junk food, for alcohol, and for gambling that that would be extended to to baby, baby formula. But I can t- I can absolutely get the concern that, that people know, it's it's, would it's have.
3: strange to think that you could ban you would might ban advertising of a Big Mac, but at the same time ad, in the same breath you advertise baby food. A ban on baby or ban the advertising of baby food. It just seems a bit strange. Something else as well. I see where the the chair of the agriculture committee was saying, "Come here, we have a big business here." Let's
5: be mindful yeah, of that. Of of course, I mean a, a lot of our, uh, you know, I'm from West Cork, and and dairy is a very important uh, sector down in West Cork, and a lot of our dairy is uh, sold and marketed as baby formula abroad, particularly to to China. Um, so you know, but at the same time, you know that that is a very important element of this, and that is a big part of why I have have concerns. But. I think the most important thing we need to do here, and by the way, this is just a recommendation from uh, the Iraqis Committee. Sure. Um, this is this is pre-legislative like. scrutiny. Yeah. What's happening now is that they're they're putting together this online media safety regulation bill, and a lot of the focus on that bill bill is protecting young people in particular from online harmful material. Uh, but in doing that, we looked at other aspects as well. We looked at aspects like uh, banning the advertising of junk food online. I think that has absolutely massive benefits. Uh, it's huge. But this is an, an another element. Um, that that was looked at so the 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 legislation now will be drafted they may or may not take on the recommendations of the committee they may include that moratorium on infant formula and they may not i'd imagine with the debate that's going to happen um in in the shannon for example and in the Doyle, that this will be looked at closer and i what i would love as part of that debate particularly when it goes to committee stage is that we do bring in a stakeholders and have a proper debate on this because in the end of the day pj um i'm i'm not a father okay I, I i i don't have children, um so you know when when this recommendation came uh, forward from our chairperson um who had been lazing with the of fall women's group and who who also had been lazing with women's advocacy groups, who was I to turn around and say, Hey, look, this yeah. is going to impact um our dairy sector you know we're we're not having any of this there, there i think it's that. it's it, it 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 merits putting forward the suggestion to have the debate. I certainly okay. have my concerns, but I think a, a big concern that's that's been expressed since this has been highlighted is the fact that, listen, you know, what about those uh, women out there who don't have the option um, of breastfeeding? that yeah. We want to encourage people to breastfeed. Breast is best, but in some instances, that option isn't there. But I think the key part of this recommendation is that in many instances, uh, information around the benefits of Infant baby formula are are not coming from reputable sources. You know, there 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 are companies out there who may be targeting people who they even might know their due date. So you know, what what HSC would prefer is that that information would come from reputable reputable sources. For example, your public health nurse. So look, it's it's um it's It's just a discussion at the moment. In other words, there's no there's no actual law. It's 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 a recommendation. And what you'll find with these Arachus pre legislative reports is that quite often. Um, Only a portion of the recommendations are taken into account when the law is being drafted. But that law, that online safety regulation bill, which, as I said, is key to safeguarding our young people from harmful content, content from uh, online sexual harassment, from online bullying, from sharing of explicit images. That is a very, very important piece okay. of legislation. This only makes up a small part of that.
3: Okay, all right. Leave it there. Thanks very much, Christopher O'Sullivan, Fianna Fáil TD for Cork South West. So it's not actually banned yet. It's just a recommendation in a much, much bigger context. So no need to be losing the shirt over it just yet. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. The website for that planner, Beth Ann's Planner. For 2022 is www.bethanoreardon.com b-e-t-h-a-n-o-reardon.com Couple of calls on transition year There'd be no need for TY if they all just copped on sought out work and opportunities to develop themselves and cut down on the socialising It shouldn't be just for a year and it shouldn't start that late into being a teenager That's one call Another call, my one was interested in a load of things and hoped to line up working in what she wanted to do during TY. However, during the programme, she ended up doing a load of other things. And through a chain of events, she ended up training as a veterinary nurse. I think TY is brilliant. It's their first time getting an insight into a non-academic life, taking decisions and getting some kind of responsibility. It's an old, it's it's as old as TY itself. The, 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 The debate on whether it's actually any use. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I wish it was around in my time. Burgle reminds me... Actually, transition year is around since the 70s. Yes, it is, of course. I did know that. But not every school did it in the start. Not every school did it. I was in... I mean, I was in school in the 80s and secondary school in the 80s and we weren't doing it then in my school. It came in after I left. Actually, shortly after I left, it came in. It came in after I left so so it wasn't uh, it 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 was around since the 70s i i looking back in it now when my own kids were doing it uh, it was i thought it was the best thing ever i really did i really did it's up to the school it still is up to the school i know that but it's in most schools now Eighteen fifty seven they're looking for actors for christmas and they're looking down in a model railway village in Clonakilty. Now, it's not, this isn't being put on by the model railway village, but they're going to use it as a set. And what better set than the model railway village for a production of the Polar Express? Carl O'Connor, good morning. Good, good morning, morning. How are you? I, I, I'm very well, thanks. This is an inspired choice of location.
16: Absolutely. I mean, what a better location than the model village in, in Clonacilty. Absolutely idyllic and it's a, a credit to the people down there. And uh, we're excited to be part of the, uh, the event that's going to be happening there in a, just a couple of weeks time. So you're
3: trying to get an act, actors and a crew together?
16: Yes, Santa's looking for a lot of different people uh, at the moment to help him with his big journey. So we're looking for elves, we're looking for all types of people with, um, with uh, some acting experience and, and some with, without acting experience. We're looking for everything from elves to train conductors to bakers to, to people that'll play roles uh, within, within our show.
3: What, how, how, how many, are how many roles are involved?
16: So we've got about uh, 20 roles in total. Um, the show is a, is a walk-through immersive experience for all the family. Um, and it's the Polar Express, like you said. So it's a, it's an indoor interactive experience um, on a train, would you believe? How's it going to work,
3: though? Because you can't ride the model trains.
16: So how's it going to work? <laughs> so no, they're not going to ride the model train. So um, in, in the... In the model village, they've actually got two uh, life-sized uh, train carriages, yes. and um, Santa's going to be uh, loading up all his presents onto the train uh, for for part of his big journey, and. Um, The experience starts in carriage one and uh, you meet some elves and the train conductor and there's a bit of a show there and you're going to help the elves and the train conductor. And then you're going to meet Santa then afterwards in the second carriage. Um, We also have a UV interactive experience there um, where you go meet uh, Dasher and Dasher talks to you, uh, the reindeer, and uh, you get um, interactive torches. Ooh. So you'll be able to look for look uh, throughout the elf village for um, the hidden messages that'll only be shown up through the interactive torches. Ooh. So there's a lot of different things on site, and then the model uh, village itself, it's going to be lit up. Um, all the houses are going to be Christmascified, as we're we're calling it, and uh, they're all going to be lit up with lovely Christmas lights and features, and help bring some miniature magic to the to the event. This sounds
3: brilliant. Is it all adult actors or? or- are there kids involved? No,
16: no, we're 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 looking for a mix of people, really. anybody from sixteen up to up to a hundred years of age, if they want to apply. Um, and we'll basically show them what to do, and uh, they're going to help bring the the Christmas spirit to the event. And it's a paid gig. It's a paid gig, absolutely. Yeah, wow.
3: why not? <laughs>
16: That's great. So
3: we're really important. Yeah, so uh, the audition, yeah, really auditions to it. are when? Auditions are this Friday coming. Yeah.
16: Yeah, so auditions are this Friday at 7pm at the Modern Railway Village in Clonacilty. Um They're workshop-based auditions, so they're not too uh, not too formal. And um, if if people have an acting CV, bring it along with them, but it's not necessary. Okay. So stem- When does the show open? To- the show opens on the 26th of November, and I think we are very close to selling out, so if anybody already? wants to take they can go to Already? Yeah, absolutely. Before um, you even If anybody open. wants to take yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so any any last two tickets, you can get them on modelvillage.ie. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to showing the, the people of Clanakilty and beyond um, the Polar Express.
3: That's class. All right, listen, good luck with it and with getting your crew and I hope to get down to see it. The Model Railway Village in Clanakilty, they're hosting uh, the, the, the Polar Express. It's going to be great. That will be one of the... I have to get down to see that. Some cheeky bugger is wondering, is it possible they could dress me up as an elf? Uh, No, thanks. Been there, done that. Yes, I did. Not doing what can. Oh, here's the thing. Uh, Transition year was invented in Mallow, in St. Mary's School. It was a sister, Anne-Marie, believed in the idea of a year spent transitioning to adulthood and she approached the Department of Education about it. This would have been well before 1974. The department looked at it, evaluated it, no doubt, probably set up a task force, and eventually thought, that's a good idea, and we'll do it. It's still at the discretion of the school whether they do it or not, but most places are doing it now. But it was invented, or devised, more like, by a nun from Mallow in County Cork. Transition year. How do we go down that rabbit hole? Well, thank you. 1850 Quick reminder, you need to join Trevor Welsh on Saturdays for Premier League Live from midday at 96am.ie. It's all powered up by Talk Sport. And every Saturday, the pre-match analysis, live commentary, exclusive interviews and post-match breakdowns. Premier League Live online with now your sport on your terms. Streaming only the games that matter to you most with now. listen on Saturday, either at 96fm.ie or the Cork's 96fm app. A few other comments in on things like social housing. Is there any quota for accessible housing, for example, in development or to convert a percentage of existing estates to accessible housing? Like, for example, the new houses in Knocknohini. Do they have ramps? Do they have easy access to bathrooms as standard? And if not... Why not? Well, a whole load of building regulations now, Caller, you, you have to, even in a house where no one uses a wheelchair or ever would consider, um, might, you know, you have to now do things in a particular way. Like we got some work done on our house last year and all the new light switches have to be put in a particular position on the wall so that in case a person in a wheelchair had to use them, they can find them. It's all regulated there, so I'd imagine that those new developments are accessible they're built to be accessible automatically I would think and I would hope that's it the programme edited by Fiona and produced and researched by Fergal Barry see you tomorrow just after 9
0: can we just talk the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group
2: call them now for motor, home, business, farm life and health insurance cmig.ie they can call
0: me Wayne Hilton Wayne Hilton so we- on Quark's
2: 96FM.
3: Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the
16: latest celebrity gossip. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential
3: Cork news.
16: Wayne Hilton. Saturdays,
2: 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID three and ID four. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie.
0: On Cork's 96FM.